I'm Bryce Butler from Access Ventures, and this is More Than Profit, a show where I talk with founders, investors, entrepreneurs, and leaders of all kinds about living and working with purpose, how they do it, and why. My guest today is Kate McGilligan with the Autodesk Foundation. With her over 16 years of experience at the intersection of development and business, she is shining a light on the makers and doers who are literally designing the future. We dive into the Autodesk Foundation, which is a relatively new corporate foundation, and discuss the unique role in designing for creatives and how they literally think about the intersection of business and philanthropy. But first, she shares about how being published at 12 ignited a passion for story. I think writing for me and storytelling have always been ingrained in who I am. I mean, I remember in sixth grade thinking, oh, I want to be like the publisher of a magazine or something. And so I, you know, it was just something I did in school and they asked us to write, I guess, yeah, it was like 11 or 12. And they said, hey, everyone has to write a poem. And if it's good or you work hard enough on it, you can get published. And, you know, it was just sort of like something you did. And it's really funny. It's about a hamburger. It's about like the lunch line and how unhealthy the lunch food was. Oh, that's awesome. But it, um, it rhymes. It's a pretty actually, and I go, I actually go back to it and think, (laughs) oh wow, like well done. I think there was some help involved in maybe rhyming some of the words, but but it's funny that you, you pull that back up because, you know, I've done a lot of kind of storytelling, marketing, influencing others. And, uh, you know, I think drawing people in to your, your cause and kind of having the head in the heart Mm -hmm. is something that's really important in order to, I think, bring folks along and really um, make a change in the world. So, well, it's clear that I don't know that that happened with the hamburger. Well, exactly, but, <laughs> but the, the creativity, the storytelling, what you do now, you know, marketing communications, but also carry that forward. You know, you've your bachelor's at Providence in political science. So there's always that kind of that do gooderism or at least kind of thoughtfulness around community. And then this, this, this other vein of storytelling and, and creativity. It's, it's really quite interesting. I'm curious though, aside from the poetry that most people probably wouldn't know about, what, what else is on your resume or not on your resume um, that you that you wish people knew about you or that you think people should know more about? Um, because, you know, you look at, you know, business bios and LinkedIn profiles all day long, but that doesn't really tell the story of a person. So what is something about Kate that's unique, uh, that was formative perhaps uh, in kind of where you are today? Yeah, well, I think for me, you know, and I love this, this is all about like purpose and how people contribute and, um, you know, and, and more than making money, I think more than profit. I think, um, for me, my family was very, my upbringing for my parents, they were very, they grew up, you know, they're Catholic. And so it was much about giving back to the community, um, your time, your money, And so that kind of for all, for me and my siblings and my parents came out in different ways, but a lot of us have gone on to do careers of service in some way. And I loved when I found this mix of, of kind of service or giving back and doing business, right. And not just sort of charity. So that took a while for me to find, but there was always this desire for me to do that. And then I always, you know, like you said, there's not necessarily a linear path in my career or my credentials. Um, but I think I always took a lot of risks or I wanted to travel. I wanted to experience things. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things I've thought about recently is checking assumptions. I think I grew up in a pretty privileged, uh, 
background, private school educated, family that stayed together, parents that were married for 40 years, like, you know, seemingly kind of perfect on paper. And yet I was like, well, if I'm this lucky, what else can, you know, not everyone is, how can I see the world, learn about other cultures and give back? And so again, it took a while to kind of find that niche, I think of what really drew me in to um, contribute, but, but it was seeded by that family um, atmosphere. And then I kind of found my way and Grameen for me was very pivotal to, and how did you Learned find yourself about microfinance? How did you find yourself uh, at Grameen? Because uh, you know uh, that's when you and I first met was when you were still yeah. when you were still at Grameen. But <laughs> I mean, you were you were pretty early, kind of in this impact space. Grameen, obviously, a pioneer in microfinance, microcredit, um, and you know to have the background that you have, political science, but just this passion for learning. How did you end up at Grameen, and then in and then obviously we kind of know where you are today, but. What, what was it that got you to that point? Yeah, I think it was this openness and this risk-taking. I mean, what literally got me into the field was my, the microcredit summit, which Eunice had been a part of and had been this movement. And I was in D.C., so I, I knew I wanted to do international development work. I sort of found my way through a consulting job to be in D.C. And I, I think that's actually something I've done over and over again, like be in the place you want to be and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> and so I knew I want to do international development work, but I didn't know what microfinance was. And so this was like 2006. I'm consulting for this nonprofit fundraising firm. I'm not in love with the, the work necessarily. Um, and I was looking for something else. And I went to like a happy hour. It was like a job fair at the Elliott school. I didn't even go to the Elliott school, but I had a friend who was kind of introverted and said, I, you know, can you go with me and help me network? And I'm a pretty good networker. So I went and next thing you know, like I, I was there to help her and I'm the one that's the, someone from the microcredit summit said, Oh, well, we're looking to hire, you know, a marketing communications fundraising person. And I said, Oh, and I just was, a, once that happened, I was obsessed. It was like all of these leaders in the world coming together to support this. And, I started learning about what microfinance was and Eunice was involved, but I, I didn't really know who he was. He had just won the Nobel prize. So it was almost like I got the bug and huh. then I never let go <laughs> and it's just morphed over time. Well, it's interesting because I was actually going to follow up and ask about uh, what advice you'd give young people. Cause we get a lot of college students and you know, in mid America where we are based, they're not familiar with, this space, let alone microfinance, let alone impact investing, or this idea that you could build a business that also has some sort of positive, positive impact. What, so other than like being present, which I think is really helpful because I think that's sometimes not, it's not as intuitive as, as one might think to put yourself in a position where you could interact with that. Like DC is great. It's like, if you want to do international development, probably need to go to DC, probably need to go there at least, you know, for an extended period of time, because that's where the hub of activity is. What, is there anything else you'd tell young people that are interested in learning more or curious about how to get, get into this space? Yeah. I mean, I think it was a lot of research too, a lot of like figuring out, Oh, I need to be in DC in order to meet people that, you know, or for serendipity to kind of help the serendipity to happen. And so there was a lot that led up to that. And then I also think I've had a lot of folks who I think I've been so set on one idea maybe 
oh, I need to go to business school. And I remember sitting down to breakfast with a friend who said, well, maybe you don't need to go to business school. Maybe you could go to, you know, a different program that's still going to get you where you want. And anytime I've rethought an assumption about, oh, I think I have to do this. Um, and then I kind of turn it on its head. I somehow maybe I take a different route, but it's still for me the best way to get from here to there. So, so there's, I mean, there's a wealth of opportunities. There are networks. There's, I think in this increasingly remote world, you know, being there may not mean being in a physical city anymore, but, um, hubs of, hubs of work, whether, you know, there's a lot in Seattle, there's a lot in Utah, there's a lot in San Francisco. And I kind of figured out where things were happening and where I wanted to be. And I, and I was scrappy about it. Um, and I also think, I, I think one of the things that I felt, I don't know if this is being a woman or, um, being from the Midwest, sort of being, feeling like, um, you know, Chicago's the second city, sort of New York's where it's at or whatever. That there's this maybe self-limiting belief or imposter syndrome of like, oh, they would never pick me or I'm not capable or, you know, I need to do this next thing first. And again and again, it's like, just try and see. And often people go, oh, you're perfect, you know, or we need this or, um, and so I think that's, you know, figure out what it is that you get excited about and, um, and like learn as much as you can. I mean, Acromine, I just said yes to like, I was like, sure, I'll go on that trip or I'll take on that project or I, it was like insatiable. Um, yeah. I think the and, notion of putting yourself out there, taking the risk, yeah. being bold. Cause I think, I think sometimes the, the imposter syndrome can set in and it's, it's prevalent anywhere. Right. Or the comparison, you know, it's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in Louisville or I'm from Tennessee or, you know, I'm a woman, I'm, I'm from a poor background. I'm, I'm black. I'm Hispanic, whatever the case may be. And, and so then what does it look like to, to take a risk? Um, and then I think on the flip side, and I think this is, you know, my final question on this area, but like, what do you think, given your role in philanthropy, what do you think philanthropy can do to help folks that maybe don't come from as privileged a background as your, yourself or myself to, to be able to be in those spaces? where they wouldn't necessarily have considered that. Like, is there a role for philanthropy and what can philanthropy do to help next gen leaders in hard to connect spaces be connected that aren't, yeah, in DC, I mean, aren't in New York? Yeah. I think we have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, I think folks like Steve case and the rise of the rest have been amazing in terms of just drumming up. And again, that's the power of kind of marketing and storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like, focusing a light on an untold story. And, you know, I see Netflix is doing this. Like I actually am constantly consuming kind of how do different industries and different, you know, this, this wanting to diversify everything. And I, and I think it's a probably long past due that philanthropy, you think of the history of philanthropy and the, and the ways that wealth has been created. And now that wealth's being passed down. Um, I mean, it's a little bit different in a corporation um, that the funding for us from the Autodesk foundation comes from Autodesk. So it's been created by that, that company, but I think we need to do better at figuring out ways to be open. I mean, one of the things we're considering is we've always done these unsolicited, we don't take unsolicited requests. Well, how do we open that up in a way that's more inclusive and ideas are coming from everywhere? Because again, I think it's two sides. I think from the supply side, you want to encourage everyone to take a chance and, and try new things and start, solving problems in their communities that 
require investment and growth. Um, and at the same time, if you encourage that, but then you don't support them with investment, you know, it's like, yeah. well then hold on a second. So I think, um, yeah, sometimes good intentions, it, right. That have negative externalities. It's like, well, let's streamline things. Let's no unsolicited requests because that'll help us make bigger, bigger bets with more, with fewer people go deeper, go longer. But then the negative externality is what are we not seeing? Who, who's not at the table? Um, and so recognizing that, how do, how do we move that forward appropriately? So, yeah. So I think the only thing you can put on like the next gen leader is like do the great and powerful thing, you know, contribute in a way that's authentic to you and how you think your, your powers can be used for good. And I, I can talk more about that, how we think about that for designers and engineers. Um, and at the same time, it's really on philanthropy and institutions to change and to, step up and provide that support, whether it be funding or training or whatever it is to enable the growth of those startups. And I quite frankly, being based in Silicon Valley, I think, you know, we have to upend that model of finding the unicorns and it's like finding people making a difference who might be slow growth businesses, but their impact's going to be huge over the long term. Yeah. So I think upending some of those traditional models is the way to go. So let's, let's get into some of that. Uh, the design stuff. So real quickly, I mean, I'm sure most people are familiar with Autodesk, uh, powerful global brand. Um, they, you know, make software for the people that make things, right? So, I mean, that's, that's what they do. Um, that's what you do, I suppose. Uh, so give me a little history on the foundation because it's relatively new, but then also this, this, you started to get into a little bit, this idea of designers and what, what is the current thinking uh, and current practice right now uh, going on in, in Autodesk? Yeah, well, I am so, I feel so lucky that I um, landed at Autodesk three years ago, Autodesk Foundation. Um, you know, I was, I'm not an engineer designer, so I, it wasn't quite familiar to me. So I don't always assume everyone knows who we are, but but Autodesk is a company that is known most well for AutoCAD and, and computer-aided design software. And over the years, we've really, we support the architecture, engineering, construction industries, the design and manufacturing industries, and even media and entertainment. But it's really based on how we use design and creation tools in a digital world. And that's changing constantly what that means with AR and VR and um, just, you know, twin models. And it's just, it's amazing all the things that are coming out of the, the, the company. Um, but about five years ago, well, six years ago now, we had a fifth anniversary last year. Um, the company decided to launch its own corporate foundation and say, okay, how do we use philanthropy and now increasingly impact investing to complement the work we're doing as a business and to have um, an impact in the world. And, so the mission is to um, support design and creation of innovative solutions to the world's most pressing challenges. So that's a lot of jargon. <laughs> For us, that means really um, focusing on the effects of climate change and inequality. And how did you get there? So originally it was impact design and it was kind of broad. So what, you know, how do we use design to have an impact on the world? And, and over time, the business has changed and shifted more towards not just architecture and engineering, but also construction. Um, and so we've kind of aligned with how can our tools have the greatest impact and done a lot of research and a lot of thinking strategically on how that could be. And so if you think about a building and how you design a building or even a, 
even like your phone, you know, it requires energy, it requires materials. And so how can you design in a way that's like maybe low cost and, and more efficient, um, you know, and, and quicker, but also has an impact on reduction in carbon, reduction in waste. And we know for us, our industries like construction is, can be a very wasteful industry. So you have these designers dreaming up the next cityscapes, right? And we know that 13,000 buildings need to be built every day to keep up with the demand of the growing population. So you think about the amount of waste that could be created in that process. And, and we're very eager to, um, as a business, support, you know, good practices from our big commercial customers. And as a foundation, we're very complimentary and say, well, how do we seed innovation um, and maybe smaller startups who are disrupting some of these markets. So it could be an HVAC or air conditioning, you know, that's non-refrigerant. So there's all sorts of examples, but we see the foundation is kind of seeding the market and coupled with the climate change issues are inequality and skills and, and this growing, um, which I think now more than ever, we're seeing how those are intersecting as well. So that in the last year or so, it's been newer for us and we haven't quite linked it to the design and engineering piece, but we see those as key issues. And, and quite frankly, Autodesk is an automation company. So we want to know that we're able to have an impact in that in some way. And I, I think we're recognizing the negative externality of automation, the, the huge mm -hmm. benefits and productivity, efficiency, uh, even, even material management and energy consumption. Right. So, but the negative externality is potentially efficiency equals fewer jobs. And so retraining workforce, rethinking workforce, um, it seems to be some of the, the direction that Autodesk is exactly. exploring. So, and, and how the designer designs and the engineering create, you know, they're always kind of going, I want it to look like this. And it's like, well, it has to do, be able to do this. Now you have things like generative design where together you can say, what are the um, constraints we need to put on this design and engineering process? And together let's create this new thing. And it'll, it'll the computer can spit out thousands or hundreds of options. So it's, it's not that you won't need a designer or an engineer, but you need them to work differently. Yeah. Um, and you can work with a computer in different ways. And so I think most industries are changing and, and, and it may not be quite so clear automation in that sense, but yeah, it's definitely something that as a foundation wanting to have an impact in the world, yeah. we care a lot about. You know, so the old adage, you've seen one foundation, you've seen one foundation. Uh, it, it's, it's probably <laughs> the same, uh, in, you know, in, in every company's different, right? And so yeah. how does, how does Autodesk think about it? Cause I think there are, you know, things that can be learned, especially being new, you don't have, you can learn from how others have done good things in structure, bad things. Uh, reinvent it, break it. Uh, how much, how much discussion overlap is there and who drives that uh, related to like what the company is doing and what the foundation is focused on? And is there a lot of cross pollinization? Is, is there, are there team members inside of the company helping speak into the vision for the foundation so that there is more of a symbiotic approach to business and philanthropy? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I appreciate that. Um, we are, I think we are doing things really differently. Um, some foundations, corporate foundations have like a firewall between um, what the corporate philanthropy does and the business. And, and for us, it's, it's pretty closely aligned. You know, we are constantly looking at where that line should be and, and um, ensuring we 
we toe that line, but we operate through a DAF, through a donor advised fund that provides us a lot of flexibility. Um, and then our, our board is our C-suite. And so that's been great. We're considering, you know, what does that look like moving forward and how to maybe we diversify that's to be determined, but we're very closely aligned in that sense, um, that we have this DAF, we can deploy funds through impact assets, um, in different ways for nonprofits, for profits. Um, and then we sit within the sustainability team, sustainability and foundation. And so what's really cool is, you know, we're kind of out front looking at the market disruptors and the early stage startups. Um, regardless of their um, legal structure. And then we have folks that are within our broader team focused on how to, um, how to push our commercial customers forward toward a more sustainable future mm-hmm. um, or, you know, working with employees. And so there's this really great symbiotic relationship across. Um, and at the same time, I think our model is really different where instead of like program officers, we have, portfolio investment team that looks at how to make investments with our investment thesis in mind um, and the areas that we care about. There's the engagement team that's pulling, and this is probably where there's the most overlap, pulling expertise for pro bono, um, pulling technical expertise or paying for training through maybe even a a third party to train someone on, you know, Revit or BIM um, to have an impact. And then, you know, as a marketer, I kind of take a lot of that and say, well, how do we amplify that? And I, I say marketing, not just for good storytelling or for brand affinity, but to say, well, if people know about this solution and it works, how do we get more funding to it? How do we get people on board and demonstrate how this is needed in the industry? And so you kind of talk about strategic alignment. We're really looking at how do we create industry disruption? I think it's pretty ambitious given you know, we're giving away maybe $10 million a year, but I think that pushes us to do even more in terms of leverage, right? Because we know it's our money alone isn't going to solve these big problems. So dive into that a little bit, the industry disrupt, disruption. So how, how, how is Autodesk or in your current conversations, how are you positioning yourselves as, as an organization, as a group mm-hmm. to really influence the trajectory of, of these things? Because I think, you know, three, four years old, it's, it's, or five years old, sorry, relatively new. Um, and I think you, you've also tried to reimagine yourselves a couple of times. Like, have we gotten it right? How can we get it closer? Cause you and I've had those conversations offline, but Mm -hmm. you know, how do we get this better? How do we, how do we tighten the narrative, the messaging? How do we, what can we do around inequality? Cause for, I think for the first several years, it was exclusively climate change or hardware design or uh, or even uh, do we do anything with housing, housing design, like really trying right. to thoughtfully think through those things. So what does industry influencing look like and, and how can you really help to inform that from your position uh, at marketing and storytelling? Well, we look to folks who've come before us, you know, quite frankly, a network is someone who I think has done a great job of, you know, using thought leadership or coalition building or even, cutting edge, like reports, I think acumen, you know, I just, we were rereading blueprint to scale, (laughs) you know, it's like this systems level change. So we have this team too, um, within the business called strategic foresight, you know, and that's not something I'd ever worked with before, but they're looking at what is the future in 10 years. And we're starting to think, okay, from a narrative change, a change narrative perspective and 
a strategic, like where do we want to be? What does that look like? What is success? And what does the world look like if we're successful and who needs to come along with us? Not just our money and our, you know, outputs and our engagements. It's like, Oh, if we were to really move this forward, what does that look like? And I think, I think we try to learn from what a lot of folks have done and what we find successful. Um, and quite frankly, I get excited about it because I've seen what's worked in microfinance and it wasn't just like one organization there, like this whole movement popped up. Um, and then, you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like it's morphed into impact investing broadly where microfinance is one piece. And so I think it requires having that vision of where, where do we want to get to and then really bringing folks along. And I think, industry, you know, could be the construction industry or the design and manufacturing industry. And we already are seeing, and part of our approach too, is to work through ecosystem partners. So Prime Coalition is amazing in terms of like low carbon innovation and the investment portfolio they have. Acumen's great. Village Capital's great. And so I think having those points of leverage for for a smaller kind of organization is, is really where success lies, but more than just the leverage point, you have to like say, well, where are we going? <laughs> like, well, and it, it's interesting. Cause I think you, you said it earlier, like Autodesk doing 10 million and that's, that's a significant amount of money for a private sector company. Um, and I think what's interesting is, you know, a lot of times in the impact space, we talk philanthropy, we talk about, you know, the, the blueprint to scale, collaborations, but really if, as we continue to move the needle towards private sector companies, thoughtfully thinking about their role, their impact, their capital, their communities, uh, that's where the real money lies. And so I I think what's really exciting is to influence that for the purpose of good. Are there any, um, are there any interesting, cause you mentioned collaborations, any interesting collaborations that you're working on that you could, that you can talk to us to give us a picture of like what that looks like for Autodesk or from your perspective, like how you're working with other groups and companies to, to really move something forward. Well, I think one of the the things closest to us, I think we haven't quite gotten to true industry collaboration yet. Um, but for instance, you know, we've been doing a lot more around um, what can we do, you know, bringing the Salesforce team together. So there's sort of like Salesforce Foundation, Salesforce Impact Fund, and Salesforce Business, or City, you know, we, and we had this great call with these folks. It was like City is Business, City Impact Fund, City Foundation. And what's really cool is you're seeing these different avenues and channels within a business that are pulling on different levers, which philanthropy is one piece, increasingly impact investing is a piece and like core business is a piece. And I would say that given like time horizons for change, (laughs) often the philanthropy can move pretty fast, you know, fewer decision makers, maybe if they prop up a fund, you know, then that's sort of this, okay, we're going to give you this money. You can manage it as you would a fund. So you have some autonomy around that. Um, as long as you agree upon the established direction at the beginning. And then I think those, you know, you can in, use those as tools to influence the business. So that's an interesting example because you have a financial services business, but they actually are doing a lot in housing innovation and supporting women of color. And so I think we, similar to my kind of back diatribe on my background, it's like unlikely partners may actually be 
your best bet in terms of moving things forward. And so we're very open to who, who we work with on a one-on-one basis. And then we're also leveraging these associations. So we've been doing more with confluence philanthropy. That is not just, uh, not just philanthropy, but also asset managers across the spectrum. And, um, and both, you know, sharing what we know and learning from others. So I think it's still early days in terms of maybe finding true industry partnerships, but even Ivory Innovations, you know, we're eager to engage with that more because they come from industry, right? Yeah. It's the experience of building and construction and they have, you know, have access to government um, folks who, you know, again, not necessarily to influence or advocate, but bring together kind of a coalition of change for, to create more affordable housing. That's great. I'm curious um, what, if there's ever a discussion around, cause I think there's a, there's this interesting uh, discussion around the creative economy, right? And how do we support mm-hmm. creators, entre- uh, entrepreneurs, um, but it gets a little squishy around what that is. Um, there's been a lot of attempts to define that, but it is interesting with Autodesk because I think they really sit as a creative industry that's been quite successful and they build products for creatives, seemingly designers, makers. Um, is how, what does that look like? And, and is there a discussion or um, how does a company like Autodesk, who clearly is a market maker in that space, think about its role in nurturing the next Autodesk, uh, making sure that designers and creators, not just customers, but where, where is, how are they working to identify that, you know, and support the emergence of those types of business? And does that matter? Does that matter to a business, um, to think about what type of business it is, where it sits in the industry and how it makes room for those, those next gen iterations. And and maybe that's getting into kind of a cross sector of uh, corporate venture. I don't know, but like, what does that look like? Uh, and for you guys. Well, I think for us, there's a, there's a big commitment and there has been for a long time in students. And so it's like, you know, part of it, and this very much aligns with inequality and future of work. I mean, I think, you know, the architecture industry has not gotten great grades in terms of, um, diversity always. I don't know the statistics off the top of my head, but the education team at Autodesk targets, you know, working with universities, different schools, credentialing programs, we're looking at new ways of credentialing um, and bringing up folks in that may not otherwise have thought of, like we were talking earlier, if this is a career. Oh, I don't, you know, I never thought I could be a designer. Like that sounds so, Hmm. you know, oh, you have to be an artist or, oh, you have to come from certain family or I don't know, like be exposed to something. That was not something that ever occurred to me. And I think that's true of a lot of students like how do you even get started and we have tools for kids even like you can play tinkercad my nephew did this and then it'll plug into like minecraft you know which i've only played once with my nephew but it's getting um i think students and young people interested in early age that a this is something they could do maybe as a career b learning these tools will help them get there and c like it you know, trying to lower the bar, the barrier of entry for individuals. Um, So you kind of asked two questions there. One is around the organizations, but I think seeding that optimism and that, um, and then providing like 
concrete steps like, hey, you can sign up for this class and learn how to do this. And we we encourage that around the world. I mean, for a while, we were working with Gearbox in Kenya on how to train folks locally. Or I just heard today, I got off a call that Sanergy in mm-hmm. Kenya is, um, they do sanitation solutions. They just trained 30 Kenyan engineers on the BIM 360, which is like building information modeling, the most premier way of doing, you know, building design in the world. And so you think about, okay, that'll help them build this building, but then what else do they create? And so it it very much is if you can dream it, you can create it and you can design it and you can construct it. So, um, so I think seeding, we do a lot of the marketing side is storytelling of giving, raising those examples up and saying, look at this, this, you know, and how much did that time did that take? It wasn't easy, Yeah. but they're really proud with where, where it's bringing them and what it's taught the folks that, on their team. Yeah. It's really it, one of the conversations that we've just had in, internally, um, just around just the role of creative, uh, tools. Uh, so just thinking about the power of next gen tools for creators, uh, thinking about what, what the iPhone has brought us, but not, not even mm-hmm. the iPhone, but things that sit on top of the iPhone, things like just user-friendly apps that make uh, photo editing so much easier and really empower the everyday photographer to now be competitive and to perceive of themselves as more than just taking pictures of their family but there's a real opportunity for them to build something and then to start to layer on. And so as we think about like next gen creative tools, cause I, you know, Autodesk is a tool for designers uh, and makers. It's a pretty powerful position to think about, not just like what can we do through philanthropy or impact investing, but what is the literal product we have? How is that affecting communities and lives? And if we can, and I love the fact that you're, you know, the both end of like the tool itself, but then also the education, because the one other thing we talk about internally a lot is how everybody is born creative at some point, mm-hmm. at some point they're told they're not. <laughs> and then they, in their mind, you know, they, they think of like, well, I'm not an artist or like creative right. is like some sort of fine artist or someone that gets their, their MFA or their BFA. And it's like, well, no, I mean, it's so much bigger than that. So much more than that. And I kind of stole that from one of my, my team members, uh, <laughs> who's who's uh, yeah. super helpful for me. But I, I just think the work that, that Autodesk does on a day in and day out basis, even a, apart from the philanthropy, but the product itself to empower people to be better designers, to perceive of the world around them as more uh, of more opportunity, more beautiful. Uh, there's something intrinsically cool and good about that in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think a empowered that you can't, yeah, you are creative. You can, you can create, you know, I mean, some of the tools like inventor are pretty accessible. Um, Tinkercad, it's like people. So and, Tinkercad and, and I wrote down because I have four, four girls. I'm like, I'm going to go get that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, my aunt um, is teaching at a school in Alabama and she was like, Hey, is this your software? We just, we're actually in this, you know, they created this new technology lab. And they're supposed to have an offering for different, you know, meet students where they are and provide opportunities for them to explore different kinds of ways of creating or making or, you know, she's like, we have Tinkercad. That's awesome. You know, so it's um, to have those examples, both with like my nephew and my aunt is great. And then I think for the foundation, we're trying to find the next folks like Trove um, is this great example, T-R-E-A-U of 
folks, you know, a young startup who we invested in, who's trying to reinvent the way air conditioning units and heating and cooling units, non-refrigerants. So, I mean, that's all they dreamed all that up. Like, okay, well, if we do, you know, it this way and they're, you know, they're prototyping, it doesn't use up your window. It kind of provides your windows free and it looks really chic, sort of like a Mac computer, but it's, it's an air conditioning unit that's, you know, going to save you energy, better, better for the environment wow. and look really good. And so, that's great I, you're like it's beautiful it's good for the you know and so you know we'll see it's still early days but that's creative yeah. that you know and then if and i also think you know engineers are creative so yeah i think it's super exciting and well i think that's neat and i'm glad we're looking at that spectrum from student to yeah. like startup well that's a great example because i think I'm going to go look them up just personally because that's awesome. <laughs> I I, th- I think sometimes and what I love about an Autodesk that thinks about these things thoughtfully, uh, at least from the outside, that's what it appears to be, uh, is oftentimes in low-income communities, we, we, we cost cut or we seemingly mm-hmm. try to cost cut. And so we design things where we have this perception like it doesn't matter what it looks like, it's cheap. Mm-hmm. And I think to really reimagine the world around us and to say, well, no, it could, it could actually look good. Can we, can we do a little bit of extra work to try to make it look beautiful, save energy and be low cost? I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, it doesn't right. have to be high cost, high design seemingly. So it's really fascinating. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I sometimes having traveled around, I don't know if that's a modern age thing or an American thing. Cause you do, you go to Europe or I, you know, and I'm like, Oh, or Mexico. And I'm like, Oh, this is beautiful. You know? And, I think somehow we've gotten so focused on efficiency and cost cutting and like mass production that we've convinced ourselves that that's better than it looking good or, or whatever. And I think we've talked a lot about this too. I think when things look good and, and this is what we were, you know, it's like, you want to take care of it. You want it to last a long time. And, and I think, you know, I think the, dignity that comes from that or you know we talk about like designing for other communities or low-income communities or something and it's like everyone deserves quality stuff Mm, exactly (laughs) um well i remember there was you know uh a water retention system going in one of the neighborhoods in the city in which i live and and it's just you know just the comments sometimes and so you know, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, but they're just like, well, it's going in that neighborhood. It doesn't really matter what it looks like. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Well, hold on. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they design it with this big cinder block wall that's going to stretch. And it's like, well, people are going to have to walk by that every day. You know, like you couldn't put a little bit extra effort into thinking about how it might look, how the community might use it uh, in the design. I mean, there's just a little bit extra work. Well, and there's this huge movement. There's a group called Colocate and it's spelled C-O-L-L-A-Q. ATE um, down in New Orleans and they were going to do a big video and profile on them. They're doing like participatory design. Like, mm. you know, we look at designing of cities and designing of infrastructure and leaving communities of color out or, you know, h- how do you, and he's an Autodesk customer. He's just, we, we, and this is another way that we support the community is through software donation. So, you know, for his organization, he's getting the software for free through the technology impact program. And he's bringing in community members to say, well, how do we want to redesign this? Or there was a um, resilient by design here in the Bay area. So let's design for resilience in the Bay as rising sea levels will inevitably happen. 
And how does that, you know, is there a low income community or a wealthy community on the edge over here that's going to get, you know, flooded? So it's like, I think sometimes we know or we should know (laughs) (laughs) that um, things, designing things well, including your community and the design is important. And yet I think sometimes we kind of get impatient or we cut corners and, um, you know, there's a lot of competing interests. Yeah. And I think but, there, historically, I think it'd be good. I mean, I'm, you know, post-World War II, you look into the 1950s, urban urban revitalization, so to speak. Really, it was very utilitarian. Uh, how do we get people in and out of downtown corridors? It's very ugly. Uh, cost, you know, like, and you just like for, for a whole several decades, we just threw beauty and design out and said, like, let's just design for utility. And just like, you look at these cities downtown and you're just like, gosh, that building is just hideous. Who yeah. thought of that parking lot, right? You know, it's just like all these really silly things. So uh, yeah, I, I'm I think hoping you, we you know, swing I, that pendulum back, you know, away from the fast food, fast casual back to the craft. Even like, I mm-hmm. think those movements, it's like, I think if there's a craving of people for experience beyond just food as utility as, you know, as another example, but what were you going to say? And one of the things I found and and our, partners do, which is really inspiring is whether it's like mass design group who is really focused on, um, buildings that heal like build X studio is a design to build partner, kind of a newer one. And, and they're looking at material use and go moving away from this, like shipping of concrete and then shipping it back. It's like, what do we have here? Clay, bamboo, you know, and how do we create more sustainable infrastructure using like going kind of back to, you know, more traditional building techniques. You want them to be structurally sound. And I think there's modernization that can happen. But when you combine that kind of old world and new world, that's actually where I think there's a lot of opportunity to include circularity and materials to create sustainable structures and the same for, you know, products. Um, It's like, I don't know how long we're going to have sand for. (laughs) <laughs> you're like okay like let's think about that you know yeah. so you think about the whole cycle at the beginning yeah it's good well it's been great i wanted to kind of you're such an inspiring person and we started the call where you were super excited about some strategy so i'm just like what right now in, you know kind of in closing like what are you inspired by like, what's what's inspiring you um you know i think in the midst of COVID, it's good to hear like people's positive stories and like what's what they're getting excited about so i'd love to know right now in your, in your life, what's inspiring you? Well, I think we've talked a lot about it, but I think just to put a more finer point on it, like today I was, before the, we got on, I was mentioning that there's ash flowing through the air outside my, you know, and the hallway even smells like, um, in my apartment building, like fire. So it, it feels very urgent to me that we address and, and they're homeless encampments out, you know, I'm in the middle of, being in the Bay Area, I think sort of an exacerbation of this kind of letting things go in terms of climate and the environment. And regardless of why you think it's happening, it's just to me, and I think that's what I'm excited about is the, the desire for people to envision a better future, start making progress towards it. I think you and I are in this community of solution-oriented doers, like rolling up their sleeves, putting money where it's going to have an impact, learning, you know, if you make mistakes along the way, learning. So I'm excited about where the foundation's going. I'm excited about where Autodesk is going. I'm excited about this opportunity we have to literally design, like, like we, we will have played a role in how the world, the future looks like physically. And so that is 
a huge responsibility and I think a huge opportunity. And I'm inspired by the next generation of folks because I think you read the news and it's scary. And yet I know so many people doing good things who care about their community and who care about helping. Um, And so I'm genuinely excited about the fact that we can solve all these problems, Um, but it's going to take everybody to do it. If you're excited about solving some of these problems and learning more about what we talked about today, check out autodesk.org. And if you're a college student or recent graduate, we run internships in the fall, the spring, and the summer. Check out accessventures.org internships to learn more. And thanks again for listening to More Than Profit. If you liked what you've heard, then do us a favor by subscribing and leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Bryce Butler. Thanks for listening.